Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I want to welcome you to the Dr. Pat Show. This is our late night edition. It's so cool. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite hours of uh, doing the Dr. Pat Show. It's a little bit different than all of the other hours that I do. Uh, we really dig deeply into some of the most profound, thought-provocative topics uh, that you can imagine. Tonight is no different. Uh, our t- What we're going to chat about tonight is is a topic that is can can only be discussed with a relationship expert and I have exactly the person for you tonight Peter Kane changes from birth to earth with relationship expert Peter Kane joining me here today Peter is a pioneer in relationship theory and counseling you know since 1979 he has been counseling individuals and couples and training practitioners and leading seminars on personal growth and relationships like creating intimacy he is the creator and director of relationship transformations a healing and transformational seminar business he founded in 1989 but more than that He's somebody that understands, you know, the weaving in and out, the webs we create in this thing we call relationships. He's also the author of the fabulous book, The Monogamy Challenge, Creating and Keeping Intimacy. You're going to hear today his passion, passion for creating personal emotional freedom from helping people understand what that means, uh, what is commitment in relationships and why it's so important. What is it about the family that keeps us together or tears us apart? And so today's show is more than just a conversation about relationships. It's a conversation about life, the lives that we lead, what our roles are in each of them, and what can we do about the changes that affect us from birth. And so our feelings about changes are affected by many factors, and today we'll talk about them. Birth and death are only, uh, they're the only real kind of permanent changes in our lives. I know people talk about taxes this time of year, but even those you don't really have to pay, as, uh, Wesley Snipes will tell you. <laughs> but they, that does come with consequences. Today, Peter Kane will take us on a journey, a journey that gets to invite us to look at our birth, how that affects our feelings about change, why do we resist change, what we can expect, whether it's instant, quick fix, long term, and most importantly, you know, what is it about change that we can embrace and see as part of our soul's journey? Peter, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Pat. Great to be here. You know, this is a this is a really cool conversation, and I think the best place, you know, to start 
is in looking at, uh, you know, something that all of us look at, know it, and, and feel it, then that's our birth. You know, what is it about birth uh, that can affect who we are, our lives, and so often uh, what people call our destiny? How does our birth affect our feelings about this thing that we call change? Yeah, that's the piece I most wanted to focus on in, in this show, but we can certainly go anywhere with it. Our birth affects all kinds of aspects of our relationships and our programming. Um, but it's an interesting thread to tune into how we anticipate quick and permanent change as a result of our birth. You know, sometimes I'll say it as a almost a parody or a joke, but, you know, our birth is as if we're, you know, hanging out and having womb service, being all comfortable or to varying degrees comfortable. And then all of a sudden time builds and there's this point where, holy cow, I'm going to have to make this trip down this canal or, you know, and of course there's exceptions where that's interrupted, but it's like a holy cow, how am I going to do this? Boom, bang, bing, all of a sudden there was a major change. I'm no longer there, I'm here, and in a sense when we go through other parts of life where we're wondering how we're going to do, how it's going to go, is it going to be good or bad, are we going to get the new job, is the person going to like us, uh, is the workshop going to work, is 2012 going to change us, um, we're basically apt in life to project our feelings about change uh, that come from something as deep as this old birth experience onto transition and change. In a lot of ways, it's the 2012 thing that made me feel like this would be a fun topic, you know, and, and why I suggested to you that we call this show Changes from Birth to Earth, that basically we go from the womb to that change, and now here we are on the earth, walking around wondering when the next shoe's going to drop, when the next big transformation or birth canal is going to happen. And I agree with the way you said it about uh, death. In a lot of ways, those are the only big permanent changes. The rest is a smooth transition, an evolution, a, a growing, a evolving way in which we are here in our bodies on this earth taking care of ourselves and yet at the same time we tend to live with an urgency or a fear of you know something good or bad going wrong going on that changes our life permanently so in a way the biggest message i have on that level is that reality is more of a continuum but we don't necessarily approach life from that point of view. We tend to project the quick fix. We tend to project the prophecy of doom. You know, along the 2012 lines, I'm not an expert of what the current bunches of thinking are about that. But basically, you know, the Mayans were good astrologers, and they had this calendar, and they didn't continue it past this date. 
because they didn't need to. And this date is a very mathematically powerful astrological group of things that was a good stopping point, sort of like finishing of some really big chapters. But then you have the people that are fearing, you know, instant and permanent change as this date approached, people tend to project their stuff onto it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, I grew up in California, and then I was in San Francisco when I started my career in 1979. So I've, I've been through California falling into the ocean. I've been through the harmonic convergence. I barely remember what that was supposed to be, uh, and, and so on. There's a lot of this projected a projection of our own birth trauma onto these prophecies, as well as just our general prophetic feelings about death. We have religious cults and, and re- religions that are projecting that, you know, the key to being safe during this big climatic change is, you know, to be with this tribe or that tribe. And that's a lot of that is just our own projection of the of the womb issue of what we lost when we uh, had to leave our mother. Mm-hmm. You know, this is kind of a, a an interesting conversation um, around change and birth. Uh, and, you, you know, I don't know, Peter, if you're following sort of the controversy that's out there right now about the recent movie release of The Hunger Games. Uh, the books, of course, have been out for years and, you know, have sold close to 22 uh, a million um, uh, in, in sales. Uh, but it's so interesting that, you know, we have, uh, conceptually a, uh, a fan base of young people that are so enamored with the idea of death and the idea that death comes to these, these teenagers, so to speak, in this, uh, in these things that are called the Hunger Games. And yet, Throughout the, the the series, there's a heroic element to it, a heroic element to what it means to live today, and some of the comparisons to the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. That you know, this particular book in the book series and the first book in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. broke all records, 150, 155 million the first weekend mm-hmm. uh, for any non sequel. Yeah. Uh, pre-sales was close to 100 million from what I understand. And the controversy, you know, rises around what is the fascination? You know, parents are saying it's a horrific story of teenagers that grow, get thrown into a game to fight to the death with each other. And yet, the, the, the culture, our pop culture of young people doesn't really look at it quite like this. They seem to have embraced it. Yes, uh, Neither yes. do I. I mean, first of all, I didn't read the books. I had never hardly heard of them until it's interesting to note, though, that like around three or four months ago, my yeah. 25-year-old son tells me that I'm going to be seeing this movie with him uh-huh. and that he's really excited about it. And I just saw it with him in my other son's Sunday. I would say the predominant theme of that movie was hero archetype. Exactly. It's very similar to surviving the birth canal and making it to the promised land. Now, there's some horrific political overtones that are key to the story, too. But if you think about it, you have, like, putting it into this birth trauma model. We're born, we 
most of us had more difficulty once we were outside of the womb than in the womb. It's not always the case. And that's one of the themes we want to build here is the question, was getting out of your mother moving into greater stress and alienation versus going back to the womb? And it was for virtually all of us except for if the womb was really toxic. You know, if your mother was being abused and was smoking and, you know, all kinds of high stress, adrenaline being pumped through, then it's going to be maybe a more peaceful experience to get away and out of the womb. But basically, we do tend to bring some alienation, like where is the comfort? Where is mama? Where is the breast? Where is the womb? And poor me, I'm here alone on this globe struggling to survive. How do I get back to comfort? How do I get back to the womb? And, of course, one of my main comments is that that's then one of the reasons people long for or yearn for death. So in the Hunger Games, you know, if you imagine everyone has that original wound of struggling and surviving in the world, then you're, you know, born in District 12 and your best hope is coal mining. And then there's a fence. And then there's a government, an obstetrician, a original abuser. You know, I mean, it's actually, you know, and by the way, one of the things I thought was cool about the book or the film is that, you know, the it's a heroine instead of a hero. And so that's always good to reverse some of those patriarchal things. Um, and it's about making it. However, my comment is we're not really strong. We don't need to think of life as struggling to make it. We are on this sphere that is like an egg. In this train of thought, I tend to make the analogy of like, have you ever seen the micro uh, pictures of an egg being fertilized? No, I haven't. So there's this amazing, it's pretty much just a hypothesis. It's way too fancy of uh, biology to really say for certain. But it's widely been agreed upon for 30-plus years that the egg of a woman chooses which sperm to let in. But if you see the picture of the egg with all these sperms surrounding it, the egg has this etheric field that's like an atmosphere. So I use that image to describe that we think we're struggling to make it and get back to comfort. But here we are on this all-nurturing egg sphere, atmosphere, earth, water, fire, food, you know, Technically speaking, if we're in a medium climate and in, in an indigenous situation of, you know, uh, population load, we're just walking around hunting and gathering. We are completely supported. There isn't these big dramatic things. When there is a historically a big dramatic thing, it's a little bit like, wow, this area is not working so well. We better start to migrate. But we aren't like it's not like we get a pink slip overnight and are told we got to get the family to you know Arizona in one day. You know, it's much more of a continuum. 
so in within what this image I'm giving about the egg and the earth is I believe that the mission is to let go of the urgency, embrace the continuum, and learn to be here safely, securely, and abundantly one day at a time. Mm-hmm. As opposed to project all this quick, fearful, instant change on to life. Mm. You know, one of the things that I think is so interesting is, um, you know, People say that we're going through uh, the most incredible times of change we've ever gone through. Um, and folks are talking about the economy. But I think the change that a lot of people are talking about is the emotional and psychological change. Nobody has really talked about that. Uh, you know, we seem to want to focus on the economy as if it were like a person, but we don't really want to focus on the consequences of what's happened over the past three years and how it has affected people emotionally, the level of fear and so forth. Um, you know, there is much that is said, and you know this, uh, Peter, in the work you do, about change and resistance to change. Right. But then there's the flip side of it, as in the Hunger Games, as in our world, where change is become inevitable. And for a lot of people, uh, the resistance is not because they're resisting the change in their lives. The resistance is this feeling that change is being put upon people and that they don't have a choice. Can you right. talk about resistance and the fact that people feel helpless and hopeless? Right. Well, in... You know, the economic piece is, is big and interesting to me. I don't know that I'm going to be excellent at explaining it in every single detail, but my experience is that these are extremely intense times, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and that it's not just about the economy. Mm-hmm. And I don't lean on astrology per se that fully, but whenever I sort of tune into it or have something explained to me, it usually resonates in kind of a holistic way where I might say that those economic changes are mirrors of an evolution of human consciousness. And certainly if we take it down to the notion of, well, what are you projecting on the economy and why and how does that connect to your core issues? That's the way in which I tend to work is – Yes, that economy stuff is real, but we all have our own unique relationship to it. And yes, mm-hmm. we are all evolving. And it, it it is a little bit like we might fear, like your, what you said reminded me of different things I've counseled people on where they feared losing a job. You know, I, I said to a neighbor once, well, why don't you just assume you're going to lose the job and begin to problem solve and solve that. And he came to me six months later and said it was amazing advice. Because rather than resist that change, like, holy cow, how am I going to get out of this birth canal? He just accepted it and then built the pieces. And, you know, then six months, a year later, it didn't really feel like he had some big miraculous change where all of a sudden, you know, Slam, bang, his whole life had changed. He had lost everything, gained something new. What it really ended up feeling like is a continuum where he got a new job with a new company and 
he was still him, and he still had his family, and you know the obvious stuff. So, it, it so let me just interject another core piece that probably affect helps all of us. An affirmation that I would be suggesting that ties a lot of this together is, "I made it. I can relax now." So whether you're focusing on the economy or your love life, you know, or your huge and overwhelming to-do list, the the suggestion I'm making is rather than project these bigger win-loss instant change things onto it, realize that it's a lot more like one step at a time and the affirmation, I made it, in other words, that big scary thing actually already happened. I made it. I can relax now. Mm. And you know, we can have a similar conversation about death because it does appear that we are all going to die someday. But yeah. The better, you know, I actually have things to say about that too, which is main, mainly that death doesn't exist. So that's not as tangible as, you know, an evolving economy or an evolving relationship. But But remembering that we made it and we can relax now, it is like using that reminder to pull the plug on the stress and come back to the building blocks for success instead of living in fear that the whole thing's going to be torn away from us at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, by the very nature of the word change, it, it reflects for a lot of people that the very foundation can be pulled away, but it doesn't always have to reflect that. Um, you know, we live in a world right now where, and, and, and this is, yeah, I'm just referring to our pop culture, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, we really do want to get some things quickly. I mean, hence why we can't put down and, you know, our cell phones. Because we're waiting, you know, to get a text, then we, you know, then we have to stop everything we're doing to send the text. And I want to be really clear about this. I am not pointing to the young people with this issue. Right. I just, I want to be really clear about this because, you know, folks have said to me, you know, but you're talking about young folks. No, I'm not. I mean, some of the most offensive, uh, you know, gestures around texting in my arena have come from adults. Really yeah, that's an important people. evolution. We've talked about that in our last few shows right, on the other right. stations. Yeah, the young yes, kids seem to be Parents are ignoring yeah. their children with the yeah. media and always have, actually. You know, I don't know what they did before television and telephone, but it wasn't that different. I've written some pretty emotional poetry about feeling that my mother ignored me and used the telephone or the television. Mm-hmm. So... Absolutely. We all tend to, there's different ways in which people tune out. The, so, let's talk about this though. Tuning in, tuning out, the issue is around how we want things to happen. You know, we want things to happen very quickly. We don't want to go through decades of, of, you know, agonizing and trying to right. work through change. And honestly, you know, right now our society won't let us. So where do we strike this balance? You know, this, this expectation yeah. of instantaneous change, gratification, or whatever it is out and, there. And that's the next kind of topic in the way I wanted to kick this word change around is how it affects our personal growth. 
what I have seen for my whole 33, 34-year-old career is that we project this desire for quick change onto our personal growth, and we want to get through it, over it, around it, past it. I mean, if you think about the kind of language we use when we're doing our group therapies or whatever, it is a lot of this, God, i got to get past this. I mm-hmm. want the quick fix. See, so, so now it's sort of like we're in the struggle of the birth canal or the alienation of being alone in the world, and we want the quick fix of getting back to the ease in the union. That is one of the sources of the death urge, by the way, that piece of the cycle we project that death will be the ultimate in getting back to the womb. Uh, one of my one-liners is death is the ultimate in faulty attempts at problem solving. Mm. It does not fix it. Remembering that you're safe, secure, wanted, and belong here is the continuum. So anyway, I and I'll say it this way, you know, part of how I got into my career is I was already studying metaphysics and, and spirituality stuff, not so much the psychology and emotional stuff, but then my dad died when I was 19. Then everything got stirred up for me, and I was doing all kinds of grieving, and that's when I first did the breath work and fell in love with it because it was so freeing and healing and releasing and and so on. So there I was doing this breath work. I'm in San Francisco. I'm 20 years old, and I had issues. Namely, one of my uh, least favorite and favorite to talk about is I was rather scared of women, You know, I was afraid of rejection. I wanted a girlfriend, you know, that kind of thing. Very normal, really. But I had this anxiety, this self-esteem issue. And I was like, gosh, how am I going to get through this? And the breath work at that time was a 10 to 20 session prescription. And some words and language were used where it was going to be a quick fix and you were going to get complete so I projected this my need for quick fix onto this, and I was like, okay, 10 or 20 sessions, and I'm going to be fixed, and I'm not going to be afraid of women anymore. Uh-huh. Well, there I was, session 15, anxious, at a party with a woman I had a crush on, and I just was like, oh, my God, you know. So I let go and kind of went outside and was sitting on this deck and just kind of sighed and thought to myself, well, I'd better love myself anyway. And actually, I had the miracle of acceptance, loving myself in the middle of being this pathetic, anxious, love, forlorn blob. I decided to accept myself anyway, and I actually did have a click where that fear, that self-esteem wound shifted. Mm-hmm. Truly, from that point on, my relationships were not as polarized by me being anxious and worried about whether or not I was liked, and they started to become a more mixed bag of choice where uh, I was coming from a stronger place. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so at that point, I also realized that my self-esteem issues or my loss issues, my mother wound, this or that, was not, you know, an overnight 20-session product project, that it was a continuum. And that's what I've noticed ever since. And 
another way to describe that part of what I have to share here is that it does seem like when people get really intensively involved in their personal growth, they're looking for everything to be fixed somewhat quickly. But after about three to five years, they hit this other thing where they realize, oh, my God, this menu is infinite. I'm going to be at this forever. And let me back up a little tiny bit, too. I want to make the point, always have, that most personal growth workshops and such are marketed with this notion of the quick fix. And I've always been really critical of that. There is no quick fix. You cannot fix your relationships after a $450 weekend workshop. You can get through some strong layers. But what happens for people is they end up going from, you know, quick fix to, oh, my God, this is forever. And then the next thing I want to say there is that's also a very critical point. Does the individual go, well, to heck with it then. I'm going to go back to the booze or, you know, the shopping or whatever. Or do we hit a different level of self-acceptance and strive on a more um, continuous uh, continuum basis of layers. Mm. So the way I would describe my 33-year-old passion of my own personal growth as well as others is that it's gone in layers. The next thing that happened is, holy cow, I had no idea I was going to get my butt kicked so deeply at the 10- and 20-year marks for different reasons, you know, this business association blowing up, this divorce, Holy cow, you know, that's another interesting thing to tune into. I mean, certainly, you know, hopefully most of the people that are over 50 are laughing, as I just said that, because they have the same experience. Right. You know, the layers are multifaceted. And, you know, it's not just our birth. It's not just our family. These things take you know, there's other new events, new misfortunes that stir stuff and need to be unraveled. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that when we come back from break. Peter Kane joining me here today. We're going to give you lots of information about Peter when we come back. We're going to be talking about how these issues specifically impact relationships. You know, what is it about birth? What is it about some of the feelings we have about change that just work their way in to the middle of a relationship Sometimes at a time that you absolutely don't expect it, probably most of the time. Peter Kane, my very special guest. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. What would it take for you to feel free and know that you have all the time you need to fulfill your destiny and live the life of your dreams? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in this state of being every single day? Learn how to develop this profound knowing and this skill by cultivating gratitude in your daily life. Each moment, you have a choice. Take the time now. In this present moment, to open yourself to more valuable time for you. Use our gratitude journal, graced with our bungee bookmark, infused with the essence of gratitude, and write down what you are grateful for. This daily practice will transform your life and shift your reality. Offer yourself this amazing gift of gratitude and transform your own life in health, creativity, wealth, and enriched relationships. Visit our Gratitude Living Boutique at ExplorationGratitude.com. 
Dr. Dane here from Access Consciousness. Are you a seeker, a dreamer, one of those people who's always known that there should be greater possibilities available but haven't yet been able to create it as your life? I'd like to help. Go to creatinggreaterpossibilities.com where there's a free video and audio series created especially for you. Once again, creatinggreaterpossibilities.com. It's free and it's designed to give you the actual tools that you need to create the life you've always been looking for. creatinggreaterpossibilities.com. Imagine a chocolate so decadent that you'd never believe it could be good for you. Align your inner bliss with Mother Nature's magic. The power of cold-pressed cocoa by Shasai, the healthy chocolate. Shasai is everything you ever dreamed healthy should taste like. We combine unprocessed cocoa with acai and blueberry for an unbeatable high-oxidant powerhouse. Shasai, the healthy chocolate. Visit us at lifesaverchocolate.com. Or call 888-287-2011. Transformation Talk Radio is designed to attract people like you and like me. Millions of people across the globe are looking to up-level their lives. If you have a message and want to take it out on Transformation Talk Radio, make sure you give us a call, 1-800-930-2819, or send an email to host at transformationtalkradio.com and get ready to host your own show on one of the fastest-growing transformative networks in the world. Transformation Talk Radio. What are we attracting in our life and relationships and why? And how can we let go of attracting and being attracted to things that may not serve us? Peter Kane has been facilitating deep relationship work for over 30 years. Author of The Monogamy Challenge, Creating and Keeping Intimacy, Peter is passionate about bringing aliveness into your life and relationships. Contact Peter Kane for counseling, coaching, or breath work. Visit peterkane.org or contact Peter Kane at 425 802 Hey everybody, welcome back. Peter Kane is in the house. Changes from birth to earth. Uh, Peter, before we just go ahead, I want to take a moment and have you share some information about how people can find out more about you, more about your blog, and what you're up to. Absolutely. Well, first they can call me. I do try to answer the phone and return phone calls, and my office line is 425-802-2050, and my website is org. And my blog is blog.petercane.org. And uh, please do me a favor and subscribe to my blog, if only to support my Google Analytics or whatever that stuff is. I don't like to try to understand too much because it's not exactly the mission of the work. But um, blog.petercane.org. So what I'm doing is the breath work, individual counseling, couples counseling, I'm good at all of it. Um, Please note that when you talk about me being a relationship expert, um, 
that's my model that life is relationships. So whether it's family, romantic, money, business, understanding our relationships and how we have made conclusions about ourselves and then how we recreate those in relationships are key to any topic. And even the topics of our physical health and body image and all those things. Um, and again, PeterKane.org and 425-802-2050. I'm in awesome. uh, Redmond near Seattle, but I do phone work as well. And yeah. um Right. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. You know, nowadays it's really wonderful that everyone's so connected, Skype and and the rest, to bring people together to get the help that they desire. Uh, You know, Peter, let's jump into this conversation about um, uh, how these issues affect relationships. You know, what is the impact? Uh, you know, for, for, for some folks, they seem to adapt better to change. For other folks, not so easily. There's a whole range. But, you know, what are we talking about here in terms of relationships, not just intimate relationships, but relationships at work, relationships mm-hmm. with our family? Well, let's go back to this birth canal piece or this having to leave the womb. Let's make it really simple and not, um, you know, I'll say this a little playfully, but I don't mean it to be trite imagine what the situation would be if we were still in the womb virtually everyone listening to this if you were still in the womb both you and your mother would be dead you had to get out of there it is a change that needed to occur and it's also a change that has urgencies you know no exit terror suffocation mistreatment testing and blood tests on the other side, isolation in the nursery, you know, there's a lot of layers there. But let's notice that in on that level, it is, like we said earlier, uh, instantaneous change that is not paralleled by anything other than death. So let's note that on some level, perhaps we all anticipate that relationships are going to or need to end. And in fact, if we jump forward into longer-term committed relationships, starting to freak out about death is actually part of why people shut down. They end up, it becomes the, okay, you're going to leave me in 10, 20, 30, 50 years, so I'm going to start to make you less important to me right now to protect myself from that pain and that loss. So anticipating change or loss is one big contextual way to describe some of the havoc so you have two people that get together but then the notion that it's going to end starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy then another layer is in that anticipation of change or loss are you the one pushing to get out to new pastures pushing to get out of the birth canal pushing to get out of the comfort of the womb? Or are you the one that feels abandoned and tends to feel isolated or, you know, similar to that story I was telling about my anxieties with rejection, are you the one that anticipates being alone in the nursery or rejected at your birth or Mm -hmm. those things? So 
realizing that be, the, the, when a relationship ends or is feared to be ending, there is kind of two sides of the coin of where we tend to come from with that, the lever and the levy. And here's where maybe my language gets less driven by analyzing our births. If there's other factors where we tended to feel left in life, then we're going to tend to polarize or be the one that holds on to relationships and fears them leaving us. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people are in that other more expansionist, let me out of here, I got to go make it someplace else kind of a thing. And those two issues are going to tend to to hook up. So question for the listener is, do you tend to push toward freedom and project that you've got to get your space? Or do you tend to hold on and try to keep the womb because you need it to survive? Let's note that neither one work. You know, if you're, re- if you're a real holder on to her, you know, a real clinging to that family nurturing womb space, you'll tend to make almost anyone activate their desire for space, you know, and pretty soon the person that didn't used to sleep with the window open needs to sleep with the window open. Right. Well, I think we're talking about extremes on both ends, aren't we? Right. I mean, we're talking, you know, just to make it really clear to everybody, we're talking about extremes, you know, one on one end and one on the other, really polarized. Uh, But there's a whole lot of gray area in between. Um, and, you know, what I hear you saying is, you know, if you're the kind of person that, you know, has to have reassurances, you know, has to make sure that, you know, he or she, your partner is there all the time, guarantees, commitment, whatever that is, and the other individual is not really on the same page, that can feel like suffocation. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that whole... Gosh, so how do I address that, for example, in my book, is self-soothing is going to be key throughout any topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Learning to comfort yourself on an inner level. You know, I don't think in this show we need to describe at length why space and being present and not trying to possess relationships is kind of understood and agreed to work better. So commitment does not mean control. You know, being present with someone does not mean control or holding on. So the more space we can give, then a relationship can grow as a system. And uh, I talk in my book about how commitment is discovered, not chosen. It's not really a religious sort of topic. It is an evolving, loving development of love in an unconditional way that makes love thrive and flourish even more. Mm-hmm. Um, you just also reminded me of the myth of the free spirit. There's a chapter in my book on the myth of the free spirit. And that is a very interesting thing I have to say that fits some of the tones that we were sharing earlier in the hour, 
which is that in our effort to make sure we're not trapped or suffocated, a lot of times we spend just tons of energy keeping our options open and keeping one foot out the door. And that person might say, well, I just need my freedom or I'm a free spirit. Well, I make the suggestion that that kind of lifestyle or energy or attitude, that free spirit is actually trapped in their need to stay free. And that true freedom comes from commitment and being present. First and foremost, here on this earth, in this body, is a day-to-day vehicle of committing to yourself being enough, to life being enough, and relationship being enough. But a lot of times when we are struggling to be free and make sure that no one controls or suffocates us, we're actually trapped in the need to be removed or the need to be free, and that true freedom comes from being present. Quite a shift from some of the older Mm -hmm. but something I actually find to be metaphysically true. Right. That that freedom comes from commitment and presence, not from trying to be flexible. Right. You know, so one of the things is that, you know, all of us, um, you know, we get to take a look at our lives, what works, what doesn't, uh, and, uh, and figure out how we want to be in relationship to another person. Are we looking, you know, what, what is it that we're looking for and how does, you know, birth, you know, affect that? You know, are we, are we kind of trapped by the conditions of our birth and our lives and our childhood? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's funny. It almost inspires the boring answer to me, which is, of course, but not entirely. You know, I mean, it's just one lens, one layer. It, it, it is it, – oh, you just reminded me, too, of something that actually just earlier today I was with a client who – was a little bit new to owning their relationship in this deeper way as part of what they're reenacting from their birth and family. And he, she pretty much said, you mean that's relevant? I have to look at feeling unwanted? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, yeah, you do if it's an energy that's there, you know. Mm-hmm. If, if it's part of what's being bounced around... It's not being negative or simplistic to trace it back and work through those beliefs. So, yeah, the big general, it's not really boring, but the big general answer is yes, if it's there. It's not the only thing that's there, Mm -hmm. but it is one of the things that's there. And, you know, it's also not something that's easy to brainstorm about alone or even with a good book on it. It's, you know, looking at what is my situation, how does that resemble the past? How does my past resemble my situation? You can ask both questions. You know, if there's a listener that knows that they weren't wanted, planned, and that they were sort of a mistake, for example, and their parents had some stress about that, 
I could just say, well, so is there anything going on in your life where you're worried about being a mistake? You're defensive, trying to prove that you're right, trying to prove that you're safe, secure, and wanted. Is self-soothing challenging because of that stress or that fear of loss? I mean, it, it's going to be reasonably common that people would, that person I'm describing would be able to connect those dots and get benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that I think we need to talk about is, you know, especially when we're talking about relationships and change, has to do with, uh, you know, the the optimal situation where everybody is happy and then the other situation where, you know, people experience pain from these differences. How do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile yeah, the pain that, that heard, happens Gary, as a result. How do we be empathetic yeah. towards each other's pain? Yeah. You know, it's, which is, it's interesting because it's almost like a very big, beautiful question that doesn't need to be tied to this topic. But ah. it, it, it's actually, I like the question, and in some ways it's a great place to uh-huh. evolve the last minutes of, of today's show because the answer is, the way these things hook together, like back to the lever and the levy, like let's paint, let's use your question and paint that picture. You know, we've got the person that's like, oh, come on, honey, let's just kind of chill at home and enjoy the womb. And the other person that's like, oh, I got my, get my space. I want to go be with my friends. Well, but I feel rejected if you do that, you know, and so on. Those issues result in a polarization where there's, two people resisting each other's points of view. And I use a few lenses in my book to address that. But one of them would be to understand how those beliefs hook together and the levy or that womb person needs to let go, self-soothe more, give more space. And that person with one foot out the door who needs their freedom would need to commit to being present and letting go of the illusion that relationships are suffocating. Mm-hmm. So now let's weave empathy through that. It is naturally hard for those two people to empathize with each other. Mm-hmm. But the answer would be to own your own stuff and not see it as more righteous than the other person's stuff. And in extending that empathy to have a very deep tool to depolarize that relationship mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe the person that wants to go out with their friends is going to say, you know, I, I still need to do that some, but I really hear you, it, that you need this and this, and that's valid, and I'm going to endeavor to give you some of that or all of it. But I also need all of this. You know, and then that person could be asking for empathy for their side, and the other person could give that empathy or Mm -hmm. care for those needs. So rather than resist each other's pain. Now, there is also another great, strong little tangent. It's not a tangent, but another way that pain fits into what I know about pre- and perinatal psychology and the birth trauma is that because we all hurt our mothers, I mean, let's let's go through that one. 
we all hurt our mothers. I don't care. My kids were born at home underwater. My ex-wife is ama- was amazing at it. It still freaking hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, and no man has really much ground to comment further. You know, that's intense stuff. We all hurt our mothers. And we are to a very big degree here as we share this egg together, this sphere together, to a very big degree, I've always said, we are defined by how we deal with someone else's pain. Just an amazing thing to think about. We hurt our mothers. How do we react to our friend's pain? Do we get defensive Mm -hmm. and say, well, I have it hard too? Do we get dismissive like that? Or do we have the guts to go, yes, I feel you, I hear you. When I do that, it probably does hurt. It sounds reasonable that it would hurt. Ooh, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. Right. And then, in essence, we're we're not dismissing each other. We're embracing each other and and hearing each other. But it is very powerful to realize that we resist hearing each other's pain. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, in the world, we hear so often about the free spirit. What is that like? You know, who do we want to be like? You know, who do we admire? You know, this idea of free spirit has taken on a whole new meaning, especially in relationships. I mean, come on. You know, the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. Many people feel that it will just shoot right through the roof uh, when it comes time uh, where, you know, the economy is not looking like it's looking now. Uh-huh. And, you know, this idea of free spirit has taken on a whole new meaning and is, you know, used quite often to end relationships. What's your take on that? Uh, to... In a lot of ways, my take on that is that divorce statistics are always out of context because the statistic I care about more is marital separation, mm. shutdown, loss. So Ugh. like I have some graduate credits in the history of the family, and if, if by some analysis, divorce rate has not, marital separation rate, excuse me, has not gone up. What's gone up is access to divorce, you know, with the laws changing, with the women's rights. You know, got to remember, prior to 1920, women couldn't even vote. And they, you know, they prior to that, they didn't even really have the right to sue on their own behalf. They were, you know, possessions of men. You know, and by the way, the word husband comes from... Um, animal husbandry, it's not exactly a freeing term either. Husbands are possessed by their needs, uh, by that burdened archetype as well, or that possessive uh, negative object archetype as well as women. But anyway, back to divorce, if you track marital separation, I actually hope that the economy does improve so that some of these people that maybe are hopelessly shut down and cohabitating would have the economic freedom to go forth and seek their fortunes. So my take on it is that we need help committing 
in dealing with the patterns, and that's central to my work, is you don't have to leave the relationship, you can leave the pattern. But we also need help in feeling innocent and worthy of going forth to seek our fortune, so to speak, if we're really stuck. And mm-hmm. so I think it's an important thing to accept both sides of that fence. But the the spirit of your question is also fair. In a superficial sense, people are just cutting and running without owning their own stuff. And that doesn't make for good closure, and it doesn't certainly help you heal the pattern and not recreate it in the next one. All of that is very, very true. So, you know, when the going gets tough, I don't recommend the tough go shopping. <laughs> Darn. Know, when the tough, when the going gets tough, I would recommend working on it until you're a little more clear. Yeah, Peter. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I love what you said. I mean, it doesn't mean the tough go shopping, but you know, you know, it, 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 we're not just talking about shopping, but anything that will numb us, gives us an exit, gives us an easy way out, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, but it is very powerful to realize that relationships have shut down, you know, somewhat consistently over the last century or two. Mm. And, you know, in the past, it wasn't divorce. It was just dad got a job in another state mm. and he came home periodically. That was that was basically a parenting plan. Yeah, I, you know? I, I completely understand it. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of being able to watch the evolution uh, of us as couples. Well, Peter, thank you for joining us here today. Uh, one last time, please let people know how they can find out more about you. Uh, Peter Kane, K-A-N-E dot org, or 425-802-2050 is my phone number. And, again, please check out my blog and subscribe. You know, you'll just get a little article sent to you every couple weeks. Uh, Blog.peterkane, K-A-N-E dot org. And, yeah, thank you, and let's let's commit to ourselves to this vessel as we stand on this vessel with gravity supporting us in being here as we take one step at a time. I love it. Peter Kane, everyone, thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. If you've missed any part of this, check our archives at thedrpatshow.com or transformationtalkradio.com. And remember, until we meet again, you are absolutely phenomenal. You have the freedom to create the life that you desire. This show is about giving you the tools to do that. We'll see you next time on the show. Mm-hmm.